You have probably heard me say this before, but the mission of Blue Valley Baptist Church is to establish campuses locally and to plant autonomous churches locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally by 2028, which is our 50th anniversary as a church. And right now we are in the second of three Sundays of something called the Multiply 2028 campaign, which is an effort to encourage our church to give over and above their regular weekly, bi-weekly, monthly giving to help us fund our initial multiplication initiatives, things like planning churches internationally with Compassion International, churches locally uh, through the North American Mission Board, partnering with churches in our region, West Des Moines, Iowa, through the North American Mission Board, and then partnering with the North American Mission Board, as we'll learn a little bit later, uh, to begin to do a a work of establishing a Hispanic mission that uh, can uh, become a campus of Blue Valley Baptist Church. We're going to raise funds, encourage people to give over and above uh, their regular giving so that we can fund those initial things, and then also long-term fund things that God will bring our way through the retirement of our debt. Now, we've done a great job of retiring debt over the last five or six years. I think in the last five years, we've retired a million dollars worth of debt, so now we're just a little bit over two million. You think, well, if we're retiring a million at five years a clip, uh, why, why do we need to do anything extra? Well, because the vision of Blue Valley Baptist Church is to establish campuses locally and to plant autonomous churches locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally by 2028. If we retire that debt, that frees up resources for us to be able to do the things that we believe God is calling us to do. Now, last week, in that first week of this three-week emphasis, we asked the question, why? Why are we going to multiply in the first place? Why is that important? And we saw from the book of Acts that we multiply as individual Christians and as churches because of Christ's global mission, and we can do it regardless of circumstances because the power to do Christ's global mission through the Holy Spirit never runs dry. But today we're going to ask a question that drills down into more specifics, taking our mission statement and asking the question, why campuses? Why would we plant a campus? So let's talk about some background before we actually get to the text and the message part of things. I mentioned last week on Sunday evening, September the 28th, 2008, in this very room, we had architects and contractors here to present to our church a multi-million dollar campaign to expand this facility, which was the first of steps to uh, go through a multi-phase campaign to build a mega campus for the mega church that we saw ourselves becoming. Almost every church in America planning for growth, especially churches in our suburban environment, that's what, that was just standard operating procedure. That's what you do. The very next day, the stock market fell 777 points, and we began the 2008-2009 Great Recession. And because of that, almost every church in America facing decisions like we were facing had to step back and take stock and began to revisit long-held notions of what we needed as a church in order to be able to continue growing. Churches everywhere suddenly had buildings they couldn't afford because they, as a result of changing attendance patterns, couldn't put people in the seats, and it wasn't going to get any better. As a matter of fact, since 2000, church construction in America has dropped 60%, 60 
50%. And we anticipate it's going to continue getting that way because millennials have told us loud and clear that they are actually put off by big facilities. They are actually drawn to smaller gatherings, smaller congregations where they can connect. They crave that kind of intimacy. And this, all of this has caused the American church, at least the large American suburban church, to revisit how we plan for growth going forward because suddenly we are discovering for the first time in American church history, bigger is not better. So when faced with continued growth, while acknowledging that large campuses were increasingly becoming a liability, our staff at the time stepped back and began to say, okay, what do we do? And we reached a prayerful, unanimous decision that God was leading us to become a multi-site, multi-campus church. And so on August the 25th, 2013, we presented to the church our, our belief that God was leading us that way. In February of 2014, we began to have conversations with Fellowship Baptist Church in Olathe. That merged with us as Blue Valley. And in February 2015, we began our existence as a multi-site church the Antioch campus here in Overland Park, and the Ridgeview campus over in Olathe. So that's the background, both generally, culturally, and also specifically to how we as Blue Valley Baptist Church became a multi-site church. But we need to ask this question at this time because it's a sermon. What does the Bible say about this multi-site plan? It is is the Bible saying anything to us at all about multi-campus ministry? Well, let's be real honest. There is no Greek word for campus that I'm aware of. I mean, these people, 2,000 years ago, weren't thinking in the terms that we are thinking. But I think if we pay very close attention to Scripture, we will see the principles that drive multi-campus ministry everywhere. So today we're going to ask the question and answer it from Scripture, why campuses by looking at the first church in Jerusalem as depicted for us in the book of Acts. Find Acts chapter 6 in your copy of God's Word, please. Acts chapter 6, we're going to peel back the layers of this very familiar passage of Scripture, and by doing so, we will see, I think, some very, very fundamental principles for being a multi-site church, and therefore answer the question, why plant Campuses. Let's look at verse 1 of Acts chapter 6. Now, in these days, shortly after the establishment of the church in Jerusalem, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12, the 12 apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, the Jerusalem church was growing. It's impossible really to know exactly how many people comprised the Jerusalem church at this point, but we believe, based on Scripture, that that number of people who followed the name of Jesus in Jerusalem at this point would have been in the thousands. 18 to 36 months before Acts chapter 6, Peter had preached 
the very first Christian sermon. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts for us, records for us that over 3,000 were baptized in the name of Jesus at that very first Christian sermon. So the first day the church was in existence, it grew from 120 to 3,120. It grew phenomenally in the early days. So how were these thousands led? Well, the text tells us by central leadership of the apostles, the 12 men who had been in Christ's inner circle when he was doing his earthly ministry, okay? So how did they meet for worship? Well, if you pay very close attention at all to the book of Acts, you'll see that they met for worship in two ways. First, they continued their Jewish practice of going to the daily service of prayers and filling out the daily rituals of the Jewish religion. They would go to the temple, like all of the other Jews in the region, to continue to serve the God of the Old Testament, whose scriptures they understood pointed to Jesus. But when they wanted to gather for uniquely Christian worship, they couldn't meet with those Jews because those Jews did not accept Jesus, their Jesus, as the Messiah promised by the Old Testament. And those very same Jews had seen to the execution of Jesus. So to meet for exclusively Christian worship, the book of Acts tells us that they met from house to house. There had to have been dozens at the least, maybe even hundreds of these little house gatherings in Jerusalem. So what we see in the book of Acts is a church in Jerusalem that numbered in the thousands, that met in dozens, maybe even hundreds of different locations under the oversight of a central group of leaders. In other words, the church in Jerusalem, as pictured in Acts, was operating by the same principles that undergird the multi-site church as we understand it. Now, this multitude, we're told in these two verses, had a problem, and this problem was a function of its diversity. When Peter preached the first Christian sermon in Acts 2, as we've already seen, thousands responded, and that those thousands who responded would have been a, a, a group of, of people in Jerusalem for a festival that served for the, the purpose of, of Peter preaching the first Christian sermon in Acts chapter 2. Thousands of Jews from all over the world had gathered in Jerusalem for the feast at Pentecost. So this would have included local Aramaic-speaking Jews and out-of-town, even out-of-country Greek-speaking Jews called Hellenists in our text. Now, they would have been more than simply Greek-speaking Jews. They would have acclimated themselves to Greek culture and customs, though not Greek pagan religion. And they would have done this in ways that would have made the traditional Aramaic-speaking Jews uncomfortable. So, just so you can get this, because I know it's really foreign to our environment, you had people spoke Aramaic lived in Jerusalem, had a, a, an ethnic connection to Judaism, who really believed in following faithfully the, the Jewish scriptures, which meant separating from anything that they deemed worldly. We might call them conservatives. And then you had, on the other side, people from a Greek culture and a Greek background who had adopted Jesus as Savior, but who were a little looser on the edges than these others. We might call them liberals. And so into that world, the gospel went forth. There's nothing new under the sun, folks. This has been going on since the very 
very beginning. And all of them came into the church as a result of that first Christian sermon. Both cultures responded to Peter's call to follow Jesus. So you have groups of Aramaic-speaking Christians, and you have groups of Hellenist Christians beginning to collect and meet under this one leadership of the apostles, even though they may not have had common language, even though they may not have had common cultural backgrounds, they functioned together in Jerusalem as one church. Now, one of the ways in which they functioned together was through what our text calls the daily distribution. Now, multiple times to this point in Acts, we see that the church had a conviction, a deep conviction that drove them that the needy among them be taken care of, and they collected funds as a church and pooled their resources as a church to accomplish this. We have something similar at Blue Valley called the 245 Fund, which used to exist as its own special offering and now is a part of our budget. From that fund, we meet the needs of the needy in our church, people who have had some kind of financial reversal, lost their job, going through some kind of hardship. Since that has been in place since March of 2009, we are approaching a half million dollars that's been distributed to members of Blue Valley Baptist Church. It all comes from this drive, you see, in the book of Acts to pool resources and meet the needs of the needy among them. And of particular focus to this church was the need of the widows among them. Because of the patriarchal nature of Jewish society, widows were particularly needy and dependent, and so the Old Testament singles them out for charity along with orphans and others who would have found themselves in similar straits. But in this large and culturally diverse multi-side church, the needs of the Hellenist widows were, were being unintentionally overlooked, which highlights one of the challenges for being a multi-side church. It's easy for one campus to fail to appreciate the needs of another campus, and that can lead to conflict. Let's take our recent leadership change as an example. The Ridgeview campus found themselves without a campus pastor because Pastor Darren Ray left to take a role as a lead pastor of a church in Massachusetts. Now, it would have been easy for those who attend the Antioch campus to believe, well, that's Ridgeview's problem. Doesn't affect me any. That's just a Ridgeview problem. Well, the elders nominated Antioch campus student minister Micah Hayes to become the next Ridgeview campus pastor, leaving the Antioch campus without a student minister. And it would have been very easy for the Ridgeview campus will to believe, well, I, I've got a youth minister for my kids here. That's an Antioch problem. That's not my problem. In order for a multi-site church to function, however, every problem needs to be seen as our problem. And in our text, it would have been very easy for the church at large to think that the problems with distribution were Hellenist problems. The Aramaic-speaking uh, Christians thought, well, our widows are being taken care of. Hate it for those guys. But we're fine. I don't know how that affects me. In fact, judging from the text, it appears that that was exactly the attitude that the Aramaic-speaking Jewish Christians had, which was leading to conflict. And so the apostles, the central leaders, call the entire church. Now, whether that was literally everybody who named the name of Jesus coming together for a business meeting or just representatives from these house churches, I don't know, having led a business meeting 
or two in, in my day. I suspect, I suspect that it was probably representatives because I can't imagine an open mic for a thousand people at a business meeting. I've been Baptist way, way too long. So I suspect that that's what happened, but they bring some representation of the church together to work out an issue that the apostles are saying is our problem. Now, it's important to understand the apostles aren't saying and asking the church to come up with a solution that this problem is beneath us. They are simply saying that the fair and equitable distribution of funds had become more than they could handle while still fulfilling their primary role of spiritually leading the church. They needed to adapt to the growth of the church in, in both the number of people coming in and in the growing diversity of the church. So they propose a solution. Look at verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parnaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. What they do here is they ask the church to identify men that can be trusted with this task of overseeing this distribution of funds for the care of widows. And it seems that what they mean is that they invite leaders from the Hellenist community, the Greek-speaking Christians, to identify leaders among themselves who could be assigned this task. I think that's the case because all of the men who are listed have names which reflect a Greek background. All right, so once they're identified, the men are presented to the apostles. Look at verse 6. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. As a side note, this passage of Scripture is almost universally looked to as the beginning of the office of deacon. However, the answer to whether it really is the office of deacon being referred to is both yes and no. No, a specific office is not being created here. But the men fulfill a task which ultimately the early church um, solidified into an office called deacon. So they're not ordaining deacons. They're laying the groundwork for that happening in the future in the church. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the outcome. I want you to see what was able to take place because they worked together here. Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, the priests who ministered the, the Old Testament rituals in the temple, many of those priests became obedient to the faith. The church in Jerusalem, and by implication, both Aramaic-speaking and Greek-speaking house churches continued to grow and reach the world around them. So the apostles organized the Jerusalem church, a network of smaller fellowships, to meet the needs of its diverse population, which included people of Aramaic-speaking background and culture and Greek-speaking background and culture. Now, clearly, this passage doesn't instruct churches to become multi-site churches. There is no command that that's how you're supposed to do church. 
But it does tell us why the multi-site approach can work in a diverse community like ours. And at this point, maybe you're thinking, uh, diverse? Johnson County? Diverse? Well, in ways, frankly, that maybe you've noticed but never thought about deeply. We tend to think of Johnson County as one monolithic thing. But it's actually a collection of microcultures with some pretty specific geographic boundaries. Let me tell you what those boundaries are. To the west, it's I-35. To the east, the first big one's Highway 69. And then the hard and fast one, point of no return, is State Line. And then north, it's 435, but functionally, it's really 119. If you stop and think about how you operate, you live in, within the boundaries created there. I think you would be shocked, shocked at how few come to our Ridgeview campus in Olathe from west of I-35, even though I-35 is practically screaming in our back door over there. And you would be shocked at how few come to the Antioch campus from east of Highway 69. Honestly, the numbers plummet east of, of Highway 69, and they drop to almost nothing once you get to state line. And then I want you to stop and think about how you live and how you operate, where you shop, where you go to eat, where you buy your groceries. Julie and I are some of those rare people that live east of Highway 69 and attend the Antioch campus. We live at roughly 127th and state line. We don't ever go north of 119th unless Julie's going to work because it feels like I'm going to Canada if I cross 435. Seriously, think about it. We just don't go north of 435. People who live north of 435 in Johnson County don't come south of 435 very much. And frankly, 119th is really the terminus. And then those microcultures exist more than just in how we live and operate. They really get down at the cultural level. I run multiple mornings a week. When I was running through my neighborhood in Leewood, I, I did not, and I'm not exaggerating, it's not like I, I mostly didn't. I'm saying I did not, did not see any yard signs politically for one particular party. And when I would visit my son's house in Olathe, I did not see one yard sign politically for members of the party that everybody in my neighborhood apparently voted for. It gets down to that level. You know this. You know this. And so, and so what we have to do and why we've gone to the multi-site approach here at Blue Valley Baptist Church is that if we decided we're just going to be one campus and we're going to build a larger and larger facility, not only are we going to get older and older because young people tend to not like that kind of thing, we are essentially saying to God, the Great Commission for us goes down to about 199th to about 119th between Highway 69 and Flump. But if we want to reach Johnson County, the multi-site approach works for us. Because you know this, many of us, even though we 
have common leadership, wouldn't feel culturally comfortable attending the Ridgeview campus. Same goes with people who attend the Ridgeview campus. Wouldn't feel culturally comfortable worshiping at the Antioch campus, and yet we can function as one church together to reach two completely different cultures with just two campuses. Imagine what it would be if we had more. And so, as we look at this passage of Scripture, let me give you three kind of general principles for why the multi-site approach works at helping us reach a diverse community. Very quick. First, campuses leverage the strengths of common leadership. The strengths of common leadership. When leadership is isolated to the local level, leadership can become myopically fixated on that one location and have difficulty thinking outside of themselves and outside of the church. But when you have common leadership and especially a plurality of God-called leaders, both lay uh, leaders and, and vocational leaders like we do here at uh, Blue Valley Baptist Church, rather than have one singular leader, then you have the opportunity at least for objectivity that can help all campuses work together for each other and for the kingdom of God. Next, campuses leverage the strengths of common resources. They leverage the strength of common resources. One thing that is probably not as easy to see on reading that you'd have to dig for is how very likely the Hellenistic Christians in the Jerusalem church were at an economic disadvantage from the Aramaic Christians in the Jerusalem church. The Aramaic Christians who lived in Jerusalem had come from other parts of the world primarily driven by a desire of that husband to die and be buried in Jerusalem. Well, when he would bring his wife and he died, his wife was left with no connection whatsoever. Didn't have family to take care of her. Didn't have any kind of extended network to take care of her. She was literally all alone. And so you had a larger number of Aramaic-speaking Christians, a smaller number of Greek-speaking Christians who were at an economic disadvantage. But everybody was able to be taken care of because they pooled their collective resources. Now, folks, we have noticed that in a way that you may not have thought about in 2020. Blue Valley Baptist Church has weathered the pandemic storm remarkably well, unbelievably well when compared to most churches. Last week, we had over 70% of our pre-pandemic attendants physically present with us on campus, and about 275 joined us virtually. What that means is, is that attendance-wise, we are doing unbelievably well, but beyond that, financially, we're doing well. Far better than we would if just the Antioch campus was trying to get through this by themselves or the Ridgeview campus was trying to get through this by themselves. Because we pool resources, we're able to move forward in a way. Campuses leverage the strengths of common resources. Finally, campuses leverage the strength of a common mission. Churches have a tendency to think that they exist for themselves. And when you're all by yourself and not networked or connected with other churches who are challenging you and motivate you, you can begin to think, well, we just need to hang on and do what we need to do for our people here. 
But a multi-site approach constantly reminds by the existence of other campus, by the mere existence of other campuses, that the mission of God goes beyond the walls of this building. That it goes out to the world. And so we are able to function together in a common way, reminding ourselves we don't exist only for ourselves. We exist for the kingdom of God. So why campuses? Because the common leadership, the common resources, and the common mission of a multi-site church can be an incredible tool to reach the needs of a diverse community like Johnson County as one church. So, how will we do this during Multiply 2028 as far as campuses go? Well, the first way that this is happening will be the establishment of what we will call the Blue Valley Baptist Church Hispanic Mission. The elders of our church have recently finalized plans that will leverage our existing ministry at Rolling Ridge Apartments, lay leaders at Rolling Ridge Apartments in Olathe, lay leaders at the Ridgeview campus who have a passion for Hispanic ministry, and then a potential partnership with funding from the North American Mission Board through Hispanic Church Planner, who lives in our area, to plant that mission. And if these plans are, are finally able to come to final and full fruition, as the elders are hoping, fundies, funding will be sought through the North American Mission Board and plans to launch this mission, this Hispanic mission, will take place sometime in 2021. Now here's the deal. Oversight of the Blue Valley Baptist Church Hispanic mission would be by our elders. There's common leadership. And supported as needed by Multiply 2028 funds, there's our common resources. With that support, that mission will reach the growing Hispanic community in Olathe. There's a common mission. And once it's established, that mission will make a decision to become a permanent campus of Blue Valley Baptist Church, uh, functioning in, in a kind of different language way like that first church uh, in Jerusalem all those years ago, or they can choose to launch out as an autonomous church in the future. But here's the thing. The people, the drive to do that are at the Ridgeview campus. They couldn't do that by themselves. They need the Antioch campus to help them do that. The Antioch campus could very easily think, well, that's not a real big problem, but there are people, there's a growing Hispanic community that need Jesus. The Ridgeview campus challenges us to see beyond what we think is our deal to see the global mission of Christ. When we work together in this way, we can do far more than we ever could by leaving ourselves firmly fixed in one place. We're believing God for more opportunities. Opportunities like language campuses, campuses like ours in other parts of Johnson County too, all for the purpose of helping people understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That is why we do campuses. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.